Well, let me add my welcome to you this morning as we continue our series on prayer with our framework for this being the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' great instruction on how we bring our lives confidently in prayer before our Heavenly Father. I love the fact that the Lord's Prayer starts and ends with his glory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The prayer that Jesus taught us is the perfect prayer. And the perfect prayer is surrounded on all sides by his perfect glory. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the truth of that. Thank you that you have given us prayer, unrestricted access to the heart of the Father. Lord, continue to teach us and draw us deeper into the incredible living connection with you. Amen. One of my favourite places in the world to be is Fortress Twickenham, home of England Rugby. Its stadium is one of the finest in the world. They say that if you suffer from vertigo, you must never buy a seat above the second tier. So steep and lofty is it watching the greatest rugby team in the world up there, right up there in the gods. It still takes my breath away every time I step out into this magnificent arena. Not on the pitch, I add, I wish. The Lord's Prayer is divinely put together in much the same way. Its words are carefully put together in order to first encircle us with the infamy, splendour, power and glory of a God who goes on forever and ever. Amen. What then gets to unfold on the pitch is determined by people who first stand in wonder among his glory who first marvel at his magnificence. The Lord's Prayer, our first prayer, our touchstone prayer, is deliberately put together in this way. His glory first. But at times, you know, our prayer life, mine included, can often be a bit like Twickenham Stadium is at the moment. For those who have been watching the Six Nations will know that there's something obviously missing at the moment. The rugby is still being played. Our prayers still pour out of us, but somehow the wonder of his glory is missing. The rolling thunder of voices on the edge of seats, knowing who our father is and what he can do, is often what is absent from the atmosphere of our prayers. I discovered something about myself most recently on on our prayer course, actually, that my personal prayer life consists mainly of me being both a warrior and a worrier. Apart from also suffering from chronic attention deficit when it comes to prayer, my default is often to be a warrior and go into battle where I will pretty much take on any enemy activity that chooses to come my way. Or I end up in the last chance saloon 
where panic has already set in and desperation has taken over. And I'm really hoping that I'm not alone with that one. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth says this about prayer. It is the fact that a person comes before God with their petition, which makes them a praying person. Other theories of prayer can be richly and profoundly thought out and may sound very well, but they all suffer from a certain artificiality because they miss the simple and concrete fact, losing themselves in heights and depths where there is no place for the man who really prays, the man who's simply making a request. You see, I discovered that very little else goes on between both contrasting ends of my prayer life. If I were to be allowed to write my own Lord's Prayer, it would probably start like this. Our Father who art in heaven, take me into battle. And would end with, for you are the only one who can get me out of this forever and ever. Amen. In some ways, my prayer life feels as if it's got a bit stuck in a rut. I've allowed some of the wonder and reverence to somehow get a bit lost in the familiarity of it. You see, when we begin to disconnect his moving and intervention in our lives from his being lifted up in our lives, we risk losing something of what I think must be the power of prayer in our lives. Because surely it's his glory that makes that possible. I personally know that I have to do something about that and put it back firmly at the front end of my prayer life. And perhaps maybe you need to do that too. Some years ago, as a church family, we did a very similar prayer course to the one many of us are on at the moment. And I remember we called it the house of prayer. Some may remember that. It taught us using a very simple picture that prayer is like a house with many different rooms. That each room has a, a unique purpose within our prayer lives. And we spent a number of weeks as we were as we are intended to do on our current prayer course and alongside this preaching series, walking through the house of prayer, discovering afresh rooms that we hadn't been in for a while or, or maybe never even knew existed. I remember it being a very helpful process for me, learning that prayer was like a home that you were invited into. God in invites us in to come and pray. We get the run of the house. We get fridge privileges. And he genuinely delights in us being there. Wow, that, that was a new concept for me back then. Though it wasn't just this bolt-on thing that came supplied with my Christian life, a mere communication device that got to troubleshoot my life but an invitation from a loving father to be dependent, vulnerable, wanting, angry at times, desperate, thankful, and above all, with him. 
That's why he's given us so many rooms in his house of prayer to explore. As part of our walk through our prayer series um, this time, Heather very helpfully took us into the room called Adoration last week. And I want to take you into another room this week called Petition. Now, unfortunately, when I think of the word petition, it takes me back to a rather awkward experience I had back in 1976. It was my last year at middle school and due to a a groundswell of unrest and dissatisfaction, I took it upon myself to start a petition to have our current headmaster removed and replaced by our deputy headmaster, who, in my opinion, was a far more suitable candidate for the job. Now, thinking I had the numbers to secure a great victory, I set about gathering signatures. 14 signatures later, two of which had signed my petition twice, I found myself treacherously given away to the authorities. And as a result, spent three days sat outside the headmaster's office next to a a full-on radiator in the middle of June and narrowly avoiding corporal punishment. So for me, unfortunately, when I think of the word petition, it has a slightly scary memory attached to it. So I felt the need to find an alternative meaning for the words and helpfully found one in this dictionary definition. Petition, fervently asking for a need or a change to come about. Fervently asking for a need or a change to come about. I like that. That seemed to line up much more conveniently for me as we look at petition in the context of prayer this morning. Fervently asking, passionately asking, boldly, confidently asking for a need or a change to come about. And Jesus wonderfully encapsulates this great principle of asking in just one line of his perfect prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know about you, but I can often find myself so lost in the rhythm and familiarity of the Lord's Prayer that that lines like this just seem to kind of just trip off the tongue too lightly. And they seem as if they, they come through the front door and go straight out the back door without me fully grasping what I'm asking and more importantly, who I'm asking it from. I love the lo- I love the way that this line just comes out with it. I don't know about any other cultures who are listening in at the moment, but this is certainly not the British way of asking. The British are much more apologetic when it comes to asking. Uh, I'm really sorry for bothering you. I, I know you're busy, but would it be possible, perhaps? At some point, no rush, of course, if I might be able to have my daily bread today. Sorry to ask, just let me know when it's convenient. Maybe a little over-exaggerated, I know, perhaps, but you get my drift. Give us this day 
our daily bread. That's unapologetically and unashamedly kingdom asking. That's fervent asking. Why? Because our Father resides and rules over the kingdom of heaven. His name is holy and revered. Hallowed be thy name. His kingdom is established and coming on this earth in the same glory-filled way as it already is in heaven. This is the backdrop. This is what surrounds us as we ask God, give us this day, Father, everything we need. Because we know who you are and we know what you can do. We don't need to go into battle anymore or be at the very end of what we have left. We just need to simply and confidently ask. The prophet Daniel knew this as he cried out to God for his city and his wayward people. Daniel chapter 9 verse 16 to 19 hears his fervent cries. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. And I love this. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God. Why? Because your city and your people are called by your name. This is a petition of the highest order. And most interestingly, it contains the word your no less than 16 times. The glory of his own name in his city and his people is perfected in his mercy and love for us. And it inclines his ears to our prayers. The prophet Daniel knew this and, and prayed, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake. Oh my God, hear me. Oh Lord, for your sake only. You see, the kingdom way of asking works best when we get to reflect the glory back to him. Where we get to turn it on its head like Daniel did and say, my, my petition is not really about me. This is not really for my sake. Yes, I, I may benefit in some way if you choose to answer my prayer, but it's for your sake first. You ultimately get glorified by my answered prayer. 
That's why when we ask, we must always declare, your glory comes first, Lord. <clears throat> A strange concept I know in, in worldly terms, but it's the kingdom way. It's the rule and principle of him first that overrides all other principles of asking. The moment we say the words, our Father in heaven, everything changes. Prayer then properly becomes centred around him, him first and not us. The desires we have for God to, to fulfil our needs, our, our daily bread and to bring about changes and breakthrough in our lives are of course not wrong desires at all. God actively encourages it. Jesus was forever provoking those he met to simply ask, often for very personal and life-transforming things. And of God, and of course, God is glorified in these two. But our personal pleas before God should always choose to remain subordinate to those desires we have for spirit-filled fruit-bearing, kingdom-advancing lives. Lives that carry a constant ache for the salvation of others. Prayer lives that are before everything else, Christ-exalting and God-glorifying. Even as I tap these words out on my keyboard, I realise I have still so much to do towards my own personal prayer journey. And thank goodness we have a very patient Father in heaven. The kingdom way of asking is, of course, as well, personal and intimate. It draws us into a relationship with a Father who loves to be asked, who simply delights to be asked. It's in his very nature to expect and take joy in our asking. The Cambridge professor H.H. Farmer wrote this a prayer. If prayer is the heart of religion, then petition, the simple act of asking, is the heart of prayer. And you know what? I truly believe God designed it that way too. Part of his passion for us, what feeds his pleasure, is when we need him so much. He's no different from us in his nature. He, he too needs to be needed by those he loves the most. He delights in the fact that we consider him first when we don't make him our last resort. How that must have hurt him so much when we do that. One of my greatest delights is when my daughter Emily who I absolutely adore, by the way, if you're listening, and you too, Ollie, I won't leave you out, is when Emily comes to me and says, Daddy, can you help me with this? I really don't know what to do. Can you sort it out? And you know what? My heart still leaps 30 years on. Of course. Of course I will. I don't even flinch. Daughters get to do that to dads, don't they? How would it have felt for me, though, if I'd have found out that, in fact, 
I was the fifth person Emily had gone to with the same request, that I had ended up being her last resort. I would have been utterly devastated. Fortunately, she's always known better than that. But even as I write this, I wondered how many times I had broken my Heavenly Father's heart by treating him as my last chance saloon, when all he ever wanted to do and longed for was for me to ask. What part of, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. What part of that was I somehow not understanding? What should sit at the very heart of our prayer life is his abiding presence and our hunger to be hospitable towards it. Without that unique dynamic going on, our prayer lives will always be a battle with the world. And it's this, I'm sure, that lies behind the reason for my own chronic prayer attention deficit at times. My personal challenge, I know, is that I need to learn to host him better and jealously guard the time I have with him being my guest. If I can give England rugby 80 minutes of my undivided attention on a match day, then my problem has nothing to do with a deficit disorder, but everything to do with the lack of a reciprocal longing to know and to be with him more. If my prayer life is to be transformed, I know I first need to get that one right. Finally, as God's petitioners, we get to carry with us into this world the precious gift of prayer, don't we? It doesn't get to become the exclusive benefit of those who know and love him. It's not a power source that, when taken out of a building, somehow loses its effectiveness. Prayer gets to be one of the active signs that a living and present God is at work among his people, wherever they are. And that can often be at times as far away as you can possibly get from the safety of a church building and a loving fellowship. I love the fact that the parameters of asking a limitless God are limitless. I love the fact that asking God has always got the potential of taking me out on a limb, of costing me something. That it can make me vulnerable, sometimes even terrified. I love the fact that the simple act of asking a father in heaven who loves to be asked can often take me way beyond what I think I can do. Perhaps that goes some way to explaining what it means to be alive in Christ. I'd like to think so. One of the things I love to regularly hear are stories of simple encounters where often for me the most unlikely person has made a bold move to pray for someone on the checkout, on the bus, a neighbour, 
even someone on the street, often strangers that have just crossed their path where God has opened up for them in a moment to look confidently up at him and ask, Father, give this person too their daily bread. This is not about me. This is for your sake. Lord, would your name be glorified through this simple act of me asking you. In front of a stranger, in in front of those who don't yet know the perfect gift of Jesus in their lives, we get to confidently demonstrate the power of prayer. The power of asking a God who we know what he can do and who just delights and takes joy in being asked. We get to show that to the world. Brothers and sisters, let's not get stuck in the desolate place of not asking because somehow we don't feel we qualify. We don't deserve, we don't have the right words or articulation. Our little problem somehow isn't big enough for an awesome God. And this is important. Don't ask because a request has proved. Don't not ask because a request has previously not been answered. How so many of us have missed or are missing out because of that one. Don't not ask because you feel your sin is too great and you don't deserve his goodness. Let me tell you, sin is not a permanent barrier to answered prayer. Let him deal and be the judge of that one. If you're struggling with any of those, come and get it sorted. Let others help you with that. Don't lose your love for God because prayer has somehow got difficult for you. He would want to put that right. All nations and friends, let's not stop provoking each other to pray in this way, to use the way we petition him to showcase who he is and what he can do, both in our lives and in the struggling lives of those around us right now. Why don't we stand and I'm going to pray. Lord, help us to be petitioners who pray boldly and confidently only because we first stand surrounded on all sides and at all times by your glory and your mighty name. Holy Spirit, before we utter a single word of prayer, before we ask you, set us down in the landscape of who you are and what you can do. Holy Spirit, set us free to be extravagant, outrageous, unapologetic, petitioners of your goodness and favour for our lives and for those around us. Lord, continually show us how to simply ask for our daily bread and all that we need today. But show us too how to ask big, how to ask for the impossible, how to call out signs and wonders that unmistakably identifies who you are. Holy Spirit, continue to give us a hunger for your presence and ignite us again as your praying and expectant people. Amen.